You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. And in this episode, we are talking about the series finale of Orphan Black, the series finale of Orphan Black, to right the wrongs of many. While we will talk about anything and everything that happened in this episode, there's not going to be any future spoilers because there's no more episodes, Chris. There's none. <sighs> I, am, I am sad, but also kind of at peace with it. Yeah. At this point. Because we've had a week to kind of come to terms. So, and I feel like we we got a decent end to the episode. So what did, what did you think about the the ending as a as a series finale? How did you feel it it did? I actually found this really satisfying as an ending. I thought this was pretty good. I I am happy with it. I'm kind of surprised by that apparently. I don't know why I am. I feel like I shouldn't be. Um, I, I think what they did, and I think this was really smart, it feels to me like they took sort of what would be a standard series finale episode and spread it out over like three episodes. Because a solid half of this episode was aftermath, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like they solved the big struggle for the series, and then we got to spend 20 minutes just sort of like living in their lives with them. And it was really nice. And I cried a lot. Aw. How about you? I, I agree. I felt like this was a pretty satisfying conclusion. And I though I do wonder, because I think you and I, the big thing we've always really loved about this show is the characters and the characters journey. Mm -hmm. And so in, in that respect, I think it was a really satisfying ending because they really ended on that. Like, where is Clone Club at now that this is all over? I do wonder how people who were more invested in the clone experiment part, like the conspiracy storyline part, how they felt about how it ended. I, I don't entirely know if for those people, kind of the way that Cody and John were taken out last, I don't know if that's as satisfying for them as maybe they wanted. Uh, but I do think as far as the show as a whole, because I, I, and I do think particularly that the show was really invested in the characters. I, I think it's a good ending. I feel pretty satisfied about where everybody concluded. And I felt like they very intentionally kind of took us back to where it all started and made sure that our clones were sort of like following up on pieces of their lives that had been explored over the five seasons. It, it wasn't just, there was enough room for them to still be kind of like continuing on and living their lives once the show ended. It wasn't all wrapped up in a neat little bow for everybody, mm -hmm. but it does feel like their own personal journeys were referenced and kind of put something of a concluding moment on them to some regard. So I, I think it, they did a really good job, quite honestly. Annie wants to know if you cried. Oh, I cried so much. <laughs> wow. Well, I teared up so much. I don't think any tears <laughs> hit my face. This is this is how it goes if you don't know. <laughs> this is how Stephanie always describes any time tears are shed by her during an episode. She always starts off saying she cried, and then she walks it back. Next time she says it, it'll be like, there was moisture in the bottom of my eyes, but, but nothing, nothing more than that. <laughs> I just don't want to mislead people. I wasn't <laughs> sobbing, but I did tear up and was emotional through many scenes in this episode. There was light misting in my mo <laughs> my ocular area. 
my eyelids were sweating. That was <laughs> it was very hot, y'all. <laughs> Can I start though before we get into talking about the nitty gritties of this episode? I want to say a big thank you to everybody who's listening to this episode. Whether you've listened to one of our discussions all of our discussions, all of our episodes. I appreciate you taking the time to do it and thinking that we were producing something worth listening to. <laughs> um, we, yes. Thank you. Sincerely. Yeah. We we make this podcast because we love this show and, you know, we don't make any money from it. We just do it because we love it and it takes a lot of our time. So it's rewarding that people actually seem to like it. So thank you. Yes. And thank you to everybody who sent in feedback over the seasons. And I wanted to mention, we received some feedback for this episode. Well, we received some feedback about 509, as well as this episode, which we're not entirely sure fits into what we're going to do today. And so if you don't hear your feedback used in this episode, I wanted to say thank you for sending it in. We are likely going to use it for a follow-up episode to this. So please don't feel like we didn't get it and we don't care what you had to say. We do. We just couldn't quite make it work with our outline. So listen for it in an upcoming episode. And yes, there are going to be upcoming episodes of this podcast. We feel pretty confident we're going to talk about our plans for the podcast a little bit later on. But going back to where this started, again, just really thank you for listening. We appreciate it. And thank you, Stephanie, for letting me convince you to start this podcast with me. <laughs> it's You're welcome, Chris. Thank you for being a good podcast partner. Aw. Let's start with the baddies. Let's start with Cody and John. Stupid Cody and stupid John. <laughs> I was really surprised how little time we spent with Sarah and Helena in danger. I think it worked out well, but I really did not expect for them to be dead like 20 minutes into the episode. Them meaning Cody and John, not Sarah and Helena. Yes, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Your phrasing was very odd. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> No, no, I agree with you, but I was so relieved when that was where it turned out things were going. It's like, oh, I'm okay with this. I'm totally okay with this. Which is also why I'm saying I feel like they took three episodes to give us a finale. Does that does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. So you, you feel like the ramp up to the end of the season begun with the episode where Mrs. S killed Ferdinand? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree, though, that going into this episode and sort of thinking about it as a typical series finale, I think you would expect for a lot of time being spent in, like, how do we get the, the twins out of this situation? This is going to be the big thrust of the episode. But because there was so much that happened in regards to that the prior episode, they really didn't need to spend that much time with it. They just needed to get Cody and John in the same room with Sarah and Helena, and they could take care of it in a fairly short amount of time. Right. And I mean, they'd set so much up in the episode prior to this, where, you know, we knew Art was going in to help them. Like, we're, we're worried about them. But at the same time, we know that help is on the way. You know what I mean? Like, right. Things were close to coming to an end as it was established at the end of the episode before this. So I'm really good with how quickly they got through that because it didn't feel like they shortchanged it at all to me. No, I was still super worried about them the entire time. I was very 
on guard and leaning forward in my chair and, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? But it, it definitely led somewhere, even though they it didn't take that, that long to get everything resolved. Right. Though I will say, as a result of this, and, and this is going to be more of an issue to talk about later, but it did play out so quickly that when that transition happened for, I don't know, a solid five minutes, I was like, is this really happening? (laughs) Because I am so paranoid, apparently. (laughs) This show has made me so paranoid. It's not just this show. I I like this with other shows also. But uh, it it got to the point where I was just kind of like, I don't know if this is really happening or if this is, you know, another one of Helena's dreams. I was just not sure. I was trying to like brace myself for any any twists and then very relieved when I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, this was a fairly straightforward one as far as Orphan Black episodes go. <laughs> I liked that we got a final Helena screech as she killed Cody. So satisfying. So satisfying. And then she spit at her like, thank you, Helena. Thank you. (laughs) It's kind of a perfect moment. (laughs) Which I should probably be worried that that is my thought, but uh, that's my thought. (laughs) You know, there was just really no sympathy to have for these characters. I have a slightly tiny bit, teeny tiny bit more sympathy for Cody, but not. It's barely there. Like the tears in my eyes, they're barely there. (laughs) 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 <laughs> that's fair that's fair mm-hmm. i mean after she killed mark it's mm-hmm. kind of like eh, no with mark went my sympathy yeah but I-, I loved how helena and art work together to trick cody into getting close enough for helena to take her out also very satisfying sort of going back to what we were talking about with art and mrs s and the trust there you know it It's sort of a similar thing to me. The trust between Art and Helena here, where that is a scary, um, vulnerable position that Helena's in. And I just, I thank you, Art, for being such a good person. Yeah. Which is a weird thing. Yeah, I know this sounds weird and wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I feel like it's justified. It's justified in this situation, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then what did you think of the confrontation between Sarah and Don? I have sort of similar feelings about that, just because he totally had it coming, especially in like a TV context, because he pretty much just goes straight up supervillain. I was going to say last episode, but I think probably before that, right? Oh, sure. And I think even if you were harboring any type of sympathy for this guy, which I honestly, if you were at this point, uh, why? I was going to say, why? I know. But having him just straight up shoot the doctor, they made him completely evil in this episode. Which was the point where my dad was like, oh, nope, he's evil. And I'm like, did you not get that before this? That's <laughs> like, he Thanks, Mike. that guy. <laughs> he's been, he, he's saying that they need to extract Helena's babies so that he can live longer. I'm like, how are you not picking up on the fact that he's like really, really terrible? Without him straight up shooting the guy who is trying to help him. Yeah. But I think that that's a storytelling tool, right? Like, that's the moment where it's like, he is beyond, there's no return for this guy. He's just straight up evil. So 
even if you were feeling some sympathy for him, which again, why? <laughs> so maybe it's less feeling sympathy for him than needing a more immediate reason to justify Sarah's actions. Yeah, to just kill him rather than incapacitate him or what have you. Because the way that she kills him is pretty brutal. I mean, I would have been fine if she had shot him and that was it. But it was honestly, it was more satisfying the way that she had to kill him in a very up close and personal way. I think that that was really kind of necessary at that at this point at the end of the series. It's for- so cathartic. Yeah, is the thing. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like he was going to die anyway, right? Oh, she- sure. She'd shot him. He was already experiencing symptoms of oncoming death. It seemed like. Mm-hmm. So she shot him in the gut. He was probably going to die, but he was going to die slowly, it seemed like. Yeah. And she just kind of hastened the death by violently smashing his head in, which I feel sort of <laughs> – it's one of those things I'm – I feel a little bit like, oh, like I feel kind of bad for Sarah, right? Because what does that mean? Because that's, that's a – an act of extreme aggression. Right. And again, like it's totally justified in the narrative, right? I don't I don't begrudge her this, but at the same time I worry. Mm. And I feel like it did kind of pan out a little bit in the last half of the episode cuz Sarah was sort of struggling and I feel like maybe that could have been part of that struggle, right? Mm. Cuz there's a discussion Sarah has with Delphine, where she's talking about how Mrs. S sacrificed herself for right. this. And I feel like maybe Sarah's not just talking about Mrs. S. Yeah, because she has that line about how she did what she did for this. Right. So perhaps that's also hers telling herself, we did things that maybe we regret or are questionable, but they've led to this good moment. Yeah. Crossing lines... For the sake of other people not having to, for example. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there. I think that is a good possibility. So can I be nitpicky for a moment? I I wouldn't know who you were if you weren't. (laughs) (laughs) So when John is taunting Sarah from behind the plastic curtains, the coward, he mentions to her how Sarah and Helena were the only twins they ever produced. But that's mm-hmm. not right, right? Oh, because of Helsinki? Yeah, there were twins in the Helsinki comics. Or did they establish that they were they might not eternal twins? I mean, if they they could have been adopted by whatever family and they could have just had two of them together without actually being twins in the way that or in the sense that Sarah and Helena were, right? I guess it's possible. They could have been perceived as twins, though not born as twins. It just seemed like it was contradicting something in the Helsinki comics that we'd seen for not a particularly good reason. But maybe it's just we don't have enough information. We got an email from Ralph saying, I didn't start watching OB until after I heard Tat's interview on the Unscrewed podcast in February. So I'm coming off six months of adrenaline rush working through the four seasons and then entering number five. I don't know if that's a better situation than five years of on-again, off-again adrenaline, but I'm grateful that the show gave us the last 20 minutes to de-escalate and see the Sestras start to recover. 
Before that, I was afraid that Sarah and Helena were preparing for a Thelma and Louise ending. But I mostly want to thank you for all the time and effort you both put into the podcast. The back issues helped me ramp up into season five and give me some idea of how much impact the shows had on the broader Clone Club. I hope you'll continue to help us think through the many elements of the show over the next few months. First of all, thank you, Ralph. I always feel weird about reading kind comments on the podcast, but people send them to us and I want them to know that we got them. So thank you, Ralph. We appreciate it. (laughs) Stephanie's like, I'm uncomfortable with praise. I am. (laughs) But I I think I agree with Ralph. I was worried where exactly, how they were going to wrap up all that stuff with Helena and Sarah at the beginning of the episode. So I, I too was very pleased that we got to see them start to heal from everything at the end of the episode there. I feel like all of this peak TV stuff has sort of conditioned us to expect a lot of main character death. And so it's maybe more common than it used to be to expect your main characters to die at the end of a series. But uh, I'm glad they didn't go that way, obviously. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I was happy about is that even though it ended up being Sarah and Helena by themselves sort of taking on John and Cody. I was glad that Sarah mentioned that she and all of her sisters survived him. You know, the fact that this guy, he started this whole thing partially because he wanted to live forever, or at least that was his goal at the end was to extend his life and they survived him. So it felt like even though they couldn't have all of clone club there, they were there in spirit. Yes. And as we've talked about before, it it feels like, Because of the established parameters of the series, like what the premise is, this feels like a much more appropriate way to end it, right? They they do move on with their lives. They get to have each other as family now. They're helping the others. It's nice. It is really nice. So we did end with some flashbacks about Sarah. But I thought these flashbacks had a different quality to them than the ones we've seen for the other clones. Yeah, I agree. I feel like part of it was just so that they could bring it back to one of the major themes of the show, Sarah and her motherhood. And I know they mentioned wanting to be able to have Maria Doyle Kennedy be back. Yeah. That that was really important to them. And I appreciate that. And we were talking about having in the end, possibly having Sarah sort of take on the role that Mrs. S has served. And here we see this paralleled quite nicely, quite clearly, that Sarah is literally serving for Helena in the role that Mrs. S served for her. Yeah. And to me, it felt like the flashbacks for the clones in the previous episode, it felt like those were mostly about conveying information about these characters past to us, the audience. Whereas these flashbacks that we got about Sarah here, they felt more like they were serving as Sarah's memories. Like she, she along with us, was like ex- re-experiencing these moments and they were informing what she was currently doing. Mm-hmm. And they were very hyper-focused on just a couple of moments rather than trying to fill in a lot of backstory about her. Because we don't, we don't really need that for Sarah. We've learned a lot about her over the seasons. Right. And I really liked the, how they were both used to have Mrs. S in the finale. And I really loved how they were used in the scene of Helena giving birth. Yeah, me too. 
because this might this might surprise you, Chris. I am not usually a fan of labor scenes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say flashbacks. <laughs> you are not wrong. But I'm also <laughs> not usually a fan for labor scenes, just because I feel like they get ready, really repetitive. You know where they're going to play out. There's going to be some joke about how, oh, the woman in labor is hurting the hand of the guy who's next to her and whatever. There's a lot of yelling. Anyhow. But <laughs> There's a lot of yelling, whatever. Uh uh-huh uh-huh you're not wrong but but and i'm sorry for those who are parents who are listening i'm not a parent so that might be part of why though the parents that i know who watch labor scenes like this is so unrealistic so who knows (laughs) stephanie's like i didn't want to see it that's why i'm not a parent (laughs) but this was one of the scenes that made me tear up get really emotional (laughs) a light misting in your eyes i understand (laughs) The inner cutting between Sarah giving birth to Kira and Helena giving birth. I thought they worked they worked really well and just like brought up my emotions about losing S and Sarah serving for Helena the way that S did for her. I just I thought the whole thing was so well done. Mm-hmm. I thought it was nice even that they had art there to sort of serve as as support. Like literally supporting Helena. <laughs> Yeah, if Mrs. S couldn't be there, I feel like Art was a great alternative, either Art or Donnie, because it was somebody that Helena trusted, who was a parent, you know, who was just somebody who was really supportive and there for her. So yay, Art. I love Art. And also, it's kind of nice because there's like, it brings the memory of Beth into the whole thing, too, which is kind of nice since we started the series that way, you know? Oh, that's nice. Since... Since Art left Beth, you know, it's it's nice that he is also being a supportive entity for Beth's sisters. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised. I feel like I should have expected that Orphan Black would do a remarkable job at something that you've seen done a bunch of times before. Not that all labor scenes are bad. I'm not saying that. But I do think that this was a particularly well done version of this particular experience that has been done a lot in a lot of television shows and movies. Yes, Annie just sent us a tweet saying, the editing between the two birth scenes was masterful, made me cry so much, not a light misting for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I also just, I really enjoyed seeing Helena and her parenting style and... The fact that she ended up naming her babies after Art and Donnie, I loved that too. Me too. And the fact that she called them orange and purple before that, I like that too. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We got a tweet from Michelle saying, Helena can still kill while pushing out babies. Amazing. I know, she's such a bad expletive. She's so amazing. (laughs) She can tink life and make it at the same time. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha! It did feel like if any character was going to kill somebody while giving birth, of course it would be Helena. Yes, exactly. Sorry, scrolling through tweets. There's so many tweets. Go for it. I am sorry I'm going to mispronounce your name probably. Josephus says, did anyone predict that Helena would give birth to twin boys? That was an unexpected twist. I was kind of surprised about that too, just because it has been such a a women-focused show. It was a little surprising that she had boy twins, but we didn't know otherwise until she gave birth to them. So why not? (laughs) 
<laughs> kind of like I hadn't really thought about it a whole lot. I was a little bit surprised, but then it's kind of like, you know, it kind of it kind of makes sense. I kind of like it, right? It was a nice way to for her to honor some other some of the the great male characters on the show. And you know, having some boys raised by a community of strong women, group of strong women I kinda, and men. I kind of like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Peg says, gosh, always thought you were both in the same room. Snaps about how tight this podcast is no matter where you are. Thank you, Peg. We have almost never been in the same room while recording this. It's true. <laughs> Peg, also also impressed you liked all the flashbacks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stephanie says, yeah, me too. <laughs> Again, Orphan Black has had a tendency to do things that I don't tend to like. They tend to do it in ways that make it okay for me, so... Good for them. Not, not that she necessarily likes them, but she she hates them less. <laughs> I do make you sound worse than you are. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I'm used to it. This is just this is just how Chris and I relate. <laughs> Peg also says the coloring for the baby shower made it seem like a dream and confused us. I agree, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for uh, validating my my fears about possible dream sequences and whatnot. Well, like you mentioned, the flashbacks, I think, also serve to kind of bring Sarah and us back to the beginning of the series, because that's how it all starts, right? Sarah's coming back to Clone Ronto to try to prove that she can be a good mom to Kira. So we're back at that same point she started at. And I liked that she kind of, she said something that we've kind of always expected about Sarah, is that when there's people for her to fight and stuff like that, she's actually a little bit better at kind of connecting with her kid because she's got some stuff going on but when it's just these like quiet days just the two of them that seems to be where she struggles the most i mean it's like mrs s says sarah has trouble being still yeah and you know truer words right but yeah i i kind of appreciate that that's what we see from sarah right that this is like, all this stuff has happened. It's been pretty traumatic, I would imagine. It's traumatic for me, and I'm just watching it. <laughs> <laughs> and so she starts sort of reverting into old patterns, and that kind of makes sense for me, you know? I don't know about you, but I was worried a couple of times in the episode that she might bolt, other than the time that she left the test. But there were a couple of moments where I just thought, Sarah's not going to be able to do it. She's going to. She's going to have to leave. Specifically, I can remember when she came over to Allison's house with the box of toys and everybody was outside. I kind of worried she was going to put the box of toys down on the counter and then leave. You know, I didn't. I don't think I, I had a moment like that. I mean, when she was at the school, I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure she's going to go through this through with this. I was I was willing her to, but I didn't think she was going <laughs> to. Yeah. And I don't think I was expecting her to leave then. Again, mostly because by then it had been established that this was actually a thing that was happening. <laughs> and I was not, it was not as I had feared a, a hallucination or a dream or something. And so it just, it felt like the rest of the stuff was over and it would have been a really unsatisfying ending if that had happened. And I just, I don't know. I expected kind of what we got, right? I expected her to struggle with it but also to be helped through it by her loving family. And I was very pleased that I was right. <laughs> and to be clear, it's not that I thought she was going to leave and that'd be the end of the series, but I did wonder if she might 
bail and then somebody would have to go find her and kind of talk to her. And I think the other part of the episode where I worried she might not necessarily bolt, but just kind of not be able to do it is when she came back and found Helena in labor and Art's like, you know, she's going to have the baby now and is trying to tell her like, it's okay, Sarah's here, we can do this. And Sarah's like, yes, we can do this. But I think that was just general unease. But I did worry that she wouldn't be able to, which is understandable. That's that's an intense thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And, and maybe it's just me reading into it. But I thought that Tatiana Baslani's performance as Sarah here was very uneasy. And it it kind of fit with this reminder of Mrs. S's encouraging her, her command to her almost. Like, you need to show me that you can be still to be Kira's mom. Mm-hmm. So it, it worked really well for me, her performance in this episode, given what was going on for Sarah. Right. And ultimately fulfilling Mrs. S's request, which I think mm-hmm. is also a nice way to end the series. Though, since we're talking about stillness, let's jump to that last scene real quick, because I liked that even though the whole idea was like, Sarah needs to be still, she needs to be able to be there for Kira. I like that in the end of the episode, she's not still in the sense that it's her and Kira and Felix rushing out the door to go, you know, have fun at a beach. But, you know, it's kind of like the house has become the still part because it Mm -hmm. ends on that lovely shot of Mrs. S's house, now Sarah and Kira, and presumably Felix's house, maybe. And and so, like, Sarah's still, like, a little frenetic, but she's with people that she's, and she's able to, like, be in motion with Kira. Does that kind of make sense? Right. And I think that's really what Mrs. S meant anyway, so I'm I'm good with it. Oh, sure. But it felt very true to Sarah that, you know, it's not that they were having art time at a table at the end. I like that they were, like, rushing off somewhere at the end of the episode. Right. And as you were talking about Felix, like, I don't know whether or not Felix lives there, but, like, his art is displayed there. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of a gallery of Felix's art. So if nothing else, he's there in spirit. Yeah. You know, even if he's not there physically, because it seems like he's having art shows in various places. So maybe he's off doing that. And it it's more that the house is a home base for him. Yeah. And I liked how the house, it still very much was Mrs. S's home, but there were signs there that they were making it their own, like all of the art on the walls done by, I think, both Felix and Kira. It seemed like there was maybe some paintings that Kira had done up on the wall, but maybe I was wrong. Hmm. And I liked, we get the shot of the kitchen and we see there's like a bowl of fruit on the table, which was a nice callback to that earlier episode when she didn't have any food for Kira's lunch. Like, she's she's getting some stuff together. She's making... She's making things work, you know? And a teapot, right? Wasn't there a teapot on the table? I believe so, yeah. Because Mrs. S always making tea. Mm-hmm. I think another important thing about the last sort of 20 minutes of this episode was that, and really, I think she's doing it kind of throughout the episode, but this episode really gave Sarah some space to grieve Mrs. S. Because mm-hmm. we saw last week, people commented on the fact she was kind of keeping it in, not, she hadn't cried yet. And so this finally felt like Sarah was able to come to terms with us being gone and work through those. You know, Helena has that line to Art about how I don't think Sarah has mended. So it was nice that she had some time this week to be able to work through some of that. Right. Because even though last episode, I think we were talking a little bit about how it felt a little bit like they were giving it some breathing room, which they were. I mean, narratively, they were. But at the same time, like, there's still a ton of stuff 
unresolved plot-wise. And it makes sense to me that that would be one of those things where Sarah doesn't exactly have the room to grieve. You know what I mean? Like, there's still yeah. all this unresolved stuff. There are still things that need to get done. And I feel like this is true to regular people's experience, right? If if you have a loved one who dies, there's all this stuff that needs to get done. There There are preparations that need to be made. There are arrangements. There's stuff. So for a while, you don't really fully experience the grief. Like, you're of course, overwhelmed by the grief, but all this other stuff too. But once that stuff is done with, then there's just, there's just the grief, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause there's, it's, it's the grief without the distractions, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Once you get back to a typical day, your sort of normal routine, that's mm-hmm. when it, it's really, there's time for it to hit you who right. you've lost and, and the difference it's going to make in your life. Yeah. And he says, that was so heartbreaking when Sarah said she didn't know how to be happy. So grateful her sisters were there for her. Yeah, that was a really great scene. The, <laughs> I don't know what to call it, the backyard confession scene. Sounds so sordid. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, has, has fandom come up with a, a way to refer to that scene? Do you know? Uh, not to my knowledge, no. Okay. The clone conversation? Can we call it clone conversation? The clone conversation. <laughs> Sure, we can call it that. But I, I love seeing... The clone confab? <laughs> I'll work on it. Okay. <laughs> I'm done. I love seeing the way that the Sestras were interacting with each other in this episode. In particular, I really loved that shockingly normal phone conversation between Helena and Sarah. Mm-hmm. While Helena's writing her book. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know... Two people talking to each other. There's nothing weird going on. Sarah kind of said something emotionally vulnerable to Helena, and Helena was, like, being encouraging. It was just really sweet. I loved it. Yeah. It's like it's like sisters having a phone conversation. Yeah. <laughs> what? Imagine that. <laughs> Nobody's getting stabbed. <laughs> and it felt like a nice follow-up to that conversation they had about Kira back in when... Helena was in the nunnery. Well, that conversation was a bit more unique. This one felt similar in that Sarah kind of and Helena feel more like peers now than Sarah being Helena's protector or what have you, or keeper. It's true. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we got that the lovely scene between core clone club and when they were confessing their, their child-related shortcomings. It was so nice. I was rewatching the episode earlier in preparation for recording. And I kid you not, like Helena reached up to sort of pat Sarah on the leg reassuringly. And I started crying. Aww. <laughs> I'm like, I think I maybe cried when I watched this before also at the same moment. And it's like, oh, everybody's being really supportive of Sarah. It's nice. Makes me emotional, clearly. <laughs> Greg wants to know what we thought of Helena's memoirs being named Orphan Black. That was a potentially grown-worthy moment, because that's a common thing that'll happen at the end of, like, films or or TV series, right? Is somebody will be writing a book, and it'll be called the title of the show, and isn't that meta? <laughs> and then, uh, like, somebody winks at the audience. <laughs> uh, huh? <laughs> How did you feel about it, Chris? <laughs> um... 
I, I also kind of had like a little bit of a groan, but then a bit of a chuckle as they were all sort of responding to the title in a mm-hmm. way a number of people I have heard respond to the title. Yeah. It's like, what? I mean, we are orphans, but we're not black. And <laughs> sort of, I've also various, I don't remember who it was I was recommending the show to. I think this was maybe after the first season. I was telling somebody about the show, and then they were all like, what's the, what's the name of that show you were telling me about? Black Orphan? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Because really, what what does that mean? I'm sure we've had that conversation on the podcast before. I'm, I know we've gotten emails about it. Like, what is that supposed to mean, Orphan Black? And and that's kind of why I think they did include it as the title of Helena's Memoirs. Right. Because I think they did kind of want to do a little shout out to the questions that the fans have had about it because there was it feels like a lot of little fan shout outs in this episode mm-hmm. and so i don't know I, I didn't love it but i didn't hate it i kind of liked the making fun of the title and then i actually really liked what helena read of her memoirs so i think on the whole i'm okay with it <laughs> even though initially i think i did kind of go oh guys no yeah uh, that is that is generally my response is sort of like a little bit of head shaking and a little bit of chuckling. Yeah. So it's like I don't necessarily love it, but I don't, I don't I don't dislike it. I have to say I felt a little maybe vindicated is not the word. No, vindicated's the word cuz I'm me <laughs> and I'm competitive. <laughs> it's true. It's true she is. <laughs> I felt a little vindicated because when they were talking about their child-related shortcomings, Kasima talked about how she didn't think she was particularly maternal. And I was like, see, this is what I was saying, like, back in season one. I just didn't think she was as maternal as the other clones. But then they had her kind of, like, interacting with Kira and Charlotte. And so then I was like, okay, maybe I'm wrong. But no, she isn't. Because <laughs> Kasim is totally the cool aunt. You know yes. she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she probably, like myself, I'm like, once they get a little more done, you know, <laughs> once they're, like, five or older, I can deal with them better. But tiny babies, please no. Please no. I, I'm going to break them. You're like, once they're old enough to clean themselves. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and Helena definitely, I don't know if it was the best line in the episode, but it was one of my favorites where she was talking about the sand and the boys eating. Where does the sand come from? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, so I let them eat it. <laughs> And Alice is just like, what? I know, I loved Allison's off-screen, what? <laughs> <sighs> but I have to mention, on rewatch, I was I was looking at that scene and sort of noticing more of the details, and it just feels like the special effects guys are kind of like, we've got this, guys. It, we are amazing. Because I, I didn't realize the first time, but in that scene, Allison reaches out and kind of just bats at Helena's journal. There's no good reason for her to do it, but she just doesn't because they're like, look, look what we can do. (laughs) (laughs) We're amazing, guys. We're amazing. I think my favorite thing, though, is that Allison sits down on Cosima's chair with Cosima. Yeah. Yeah. She's overlapping Cosima the entire time. So, yeah, it's one of those things like it's because it's so low key, that scene that you just kind of accept it. And then you're like, wait, it is all the same person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What? Five seasons in, final episode, and I'm still kind of like, oh my god, <laughs> they're all the same person. It's amazing. Well, and it's just amazing to think of how far they've developed that technology over five years. Because don't get me wrong, I think the the special effects have always been well done on the show, but they've clearly 
made a lot of progress in what they can do because they do far more complicated stuff now than they did in the beginning. Like I forgot to mention it last episode, but that shot that ended 509 where Helena's bent down and we see Sarah behind her. And it's just clear as day, even though Helena has kind of frizzy hair. Like, we can see Sarah's face perfectly, even through, like, the, the frizziness of Helena's hair and stuff like that. I was just, I was just, like, blown away by that special effect shot. And, I mean, the fact that we do have such a casual, no-big-deal scene in this last episode, and it's it's the big clone gathering scene. Because we were talking about this last episode. That's a thing they like to do, right? They like to have a big, often fun gathering of them. Or sometimes we'll have like the clone fight scenes or whatever, right? But Mm -hmm. they've always been, let's do something kind of big and showy. Right. (laughs) With the the dance party or, or stuff like that. And so the fact that they're all just kind of sitting there, I don't know. I kind of like it. Yeah. Because it is like it's it's technologically amazing, but they're so I don't know nonchalant about it. Mm-hmm. And to talk about our other podcasts for a moment, we are covering season two of Winona Earp on our multi fandom podcast analysis. Our friend Annie and I are discussing small batches of episodes. The second Winona Earp discussion covered episodes six through nine of season two. You can listen to it now and find out how to subscribe at askgenretv.com slash fan. We are also covering season three of Killjoys. We are releasing weekly episode discussions for that show on our podcast called The Quad, which is our Killjoys podcast. You can listen to episodes and subscribe to it over at askgenretv.com slash killjoys. So let's talk a bit about the wrapping up that we got for our other members of Clone Club and their significant others. Allison and Donnie. I feel like it seems like they really are trying to head in a new direction in their life. Allison generally seems to be trying to turn over a new leaf. The homemade kombucha. Mm-hmm. With yeah. homemade kombucha. Yeah. I did like that exchange that we got between them when Donnie brought in Orange. It was mm-hmm. Orange, right? It was Orange. And um, I think it was Orange who ended up being Donnie, too. <laughs> anyway, I like that exchange. I thought that was very sweet. They were being very supportive of one another. Uh, it turns out Donnie has a job involving the pouring of concrete floors. <laughs> he designs them. He does something architectural and creative now. Yes, I know. But like, how perfect is it that <laughs> he made use of his knowledge of pouring concrete and has made a career of it? Though, honestly, when he when he mentioned that, I'm like, it felt like... Allison was at least better at deconstructing the concrete floor <laughs> than he was. Well, sure, but he does but have experience with it because they've had to do it several times now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, you know what I've gotten pretty good at? <laughs> I can I can help people with their own concrete flooring. Mm-hmm. See, he's helping other people. <laughs> but the thing that I liked about Allison in this episode is that you know, she wasn't really around much this season. They did the thing where they, you know, sent her off on a quest to find herself. And so we don't re- didn't really get to see that part of kind of what made her come back wearing clothes that she looked like she borrowed kind of from Kasiba and with short purpley hair. But 
I feel like we've gotten the sense at the end of the season, it's like, yes, she's making changes, but she's not there yet. And I think that's a good point to end on her as a character. You know, she's she's taking steps toward being more relaxed, being more comfortable with herself, I think. But it's still, she still has struggles. It's not like she's completely figured it out quite yet. And I mean, there's only so much of your personality you can change anyway. Sure, yeah. But yeah, because we do get that scene of her where she's being pretty pushy toward Sarah. But the thing is, like, it really genuinely felt to me like she was doing it out of well-meaning concern. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, she and Sarah have always butted heads. That's not surprising. They, They push and poke at each other. That's a thing they do. That's sort of their dynamic. But I really do feel like she was doing it out of genuine concern for for Sarah. So so that was nice to see. And she did apologize shortly after. Yeah. And I liked the way that that apology went, where she said she was sorry, and then she started to say something else, but then she just sort of left it at that. And I, I liked that, because I feel like the Allison, especially early on Allison, even if you got her to apologize, she would try to justify maybe a little bit why she did what she did. But Allison here just says, I'm sorry, and moves on. I do also appreciate that we see the Hendrixes have have given Helena a home. I figured Helena would either end up with Sarah or end up with Donnie and Allison, and I'm glad she ended up with Donnie and Allison. I mean, we had that exchange before, after Helena saved them last season, where Allison basically vowed to protect Helena. Mm-hmm. So it feels like making good on that, too. And they really do seem to like being kind of co-parents for the boys. Mm-hmm. We'd seen Donnie really connect with babies back in season four. So maybe this is a nice way for them to kind of go through the young, parenting young children experience again. Right. Semi-vicariously, but also providing providing good support for Helena. And little Donnie did apparently look happy in Allison's arms. Yes. But I like that, and this is probably another sign of how far Allison has come. I I like how much she's letting Helena be her own parent. Right. With the babies in their sacks, dangling in Mm -hmm. their sacks. Right. (laughs) And And the the little stick figures, the the literal stick figure mobiles that Helena made for them. The, uh... The horror mobile. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're they're beautiful, but, but a little terrifying. <laughs> Just like Helena. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, it very much feels like they're there to support her and, you know, interact with the babies and maybe, you know, help her take care of the babies and ways the babies. But they're letting her do her own thing and be her own mother and not trying to turn her into a Bailey Downs mom. Yes. This episode, to me, was so satisfying. <sighs> I'm just, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. I know, it's always hard to know how a series finale is going to go. But this is probably one of the, the most satisfying ones I've seen in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only major character deaths we got in this episode were the villains. The villains! Who deserved it. Exactly. They so deserved it. They didn't even kill off her anger, which I probably wouldn't have been that sorry about. She didn't need to die. I was glad Art whacked her over the head. <laughs> which was also very satisfying. 
It was, and called her a terrible partner as he dragged her away. That, I think, was a good enough end for anger. But they didn't even kill her. They just killed the, the truly evil people. Yeah. I'm, I'm for it. Yep. Shall we talk about Kazima and Delphine? Delphine! Thankfully, it was back for the finale. I figured she would be. But... How could she not be? I, I know. I know. And I feel like science girlfriends are back doing what they do best. They got Scott along for the ride, too. But I just, I feel like they are, we see them smooching, and they're happy, and they're working as partners, and I'm pleased with it. It was, again, very satisfying. I also liked that they crossed over the story storyline-wise. They, they showed Kasima and Scott on a Skype call with Sarah mm-hmm. to tutor her yeah. with her algebra. Because, again, I feel like it's sort of like a little bit of a shout-out to past episodes or fandom or whatnot that they're, you know, on the Skype call. But instead of discussing whatever plans to deal with Neolution, it's like the Pythagorean or, theorem. Yeah. Or here's this horrible thing I discovered about our DNA, Sarah. It's it's just... It's this horrible thing about Sarah's math problem that she couldn't quite get right. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see on their board where they had tracked the clones that they had inoculated? Did you see that there was one in Texas? I did not. Yes. I didn't catch where in Texas, but I have to go back and, and pause it again. But I was like, oh, there's one in Texas. It made me happy. <laughs> Stephanie scours the state <laughs> looking for Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> I know you're here. <laughs> have you been inoculated yet? Actually, I know she has. <laughs> That's why she's on the board, Stephanie. <laughs> I know. I still worry, Chris. <laughs> Stephanie says, do you know how I can get in contact with Delphine? <laughs> do you remember interacting with an attractive blonde lady with curly hair? <laughs> what direction did she head in? Just tell me. <laughs> but I have to say, I am left with a few questions about how the heck Delphine and Cosima are affording to travel to the places to inoculate the Litas. Did Delphine just do a really good job? Sneaking away the savings when she worked for Dyad? I'm going to say yes. Okay. I don't know. I don't know, obviously. Or maybe Delphine yes. <laughs> has she, – she's a secret rich kid or something, and we didn't even know. Could be. There was also the exchange with Scott where Scott was talking about how, oh, if this keeps up, we'll have to have another whatever it was that I mentioned. And then she's like, then we'll get one. Mm-hmm. Like, no big deal. Mm-hmm. So uh, apparently they are not lacking funding. Mm-hmm. I imagine the dissolution of of Neolution and possibly Dyad would leave a certain amount of cash floating around out there, right? Hmm. She was over in Switzerland with Felix and Adele chasing the money trail. Maybe she found a little something that mm-hmm. she could direct to Clone Club and their attempts to inoculate the clones. And various people have have messaged us asking about the money that mk took from ferdinand that is still a big question mark where did that money go is that right. like clone club nest egg now could be it's a good theory i like it i'll go with mm-hmm. it but then my other big question that i had was we never got back to that conversation that delphine and Casima were having at felix's art opening because you know Casima's like you know what what are we gonna do once everything is over and De- delphine starts to answer her but then felix interrupts and she doesn't say what was she going to say chris what was she going to say that they were going to travel the world and cure her sisters uh, i don't think that was it <laughs> really 
But I, I, I guess I'll go with that. I, I do feel like this is a good, not conclusion to, but like continuation of their storyline. Yes. And they did have like a sexy moment in a medical atmosphere, but it was not during a procedure. So I feel like that's progress for them. <laughs> I was going to say is echoes of season two. <laughs> it is what brought them closer in season two. Yes. This quest to cure the, the clone disease. So mm -hmm. again, appropriate continuation of their storyline slash relationship. Yep. I did like that scene also that Delphine had with Sarah. Mm. And the hugging and also the the fulfilling of the promise to Kasima to to love them all, right? Which I feel like is is a thing we've seen of all of the supporting characters. All the people yeah. who love one of the clones have sort of adopted the rest of the clones into their family. I felt bad for Delphine that she seemed to feel guilty about Mrs. S's death. I hadn't really thought about how she might react to it, but it made sense that she felt kind of badly that she didn't know more or realize what Mrs. S was going to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, they'd made it pretty clear in that episode that she was really following S's lead. Yeah. So it's it's like you can't blame her for what happened to Mrs. S because Mrs. S was clearly the one calling the shots on all of that stuff. But I can see why Delphine would still feel guilt about it anyway. Yeah. Being half a step closer to what she was actually doing than the rest of Clone Club. Exactly. Exactly. And and maybe she could have told somebody like Art or somebody to go help Mrs. S when she tried to confront Ferdinand by herself, you know, I, I can understand why she would feel guilty, even though I agree, it is definitely not her fault. But uh, it made sense to me when she was expressing some guilt. But like, did she even know that she was going to go see Ferdinand by herself? Probably not. So, Same. but maybe she was feeling bad that she didn't try to get more in the loop with us's plan or something like that, since they were working together. Right. Guilt over being in that weird position that she was in where she didn't quite know enough, but also knew something. Yeah, because she knew more than Sarah did. She knew more than Kazima did, but she didn't know as much as S did. Right. I did think that Delphine was pretty sweet with the baby. I liked when she was talking uh, in French to him. Like, you want to go to your mom? Like, oh, baby's oh, going to be surrounded that. by so many different languages and different types of people. It's great. Yes, see, Auntie Kazima and Auntie Delphine. Aw. Kasima will get there. She'll get there. <laughs> when the kids are grown up a little. <laughs> yeah, when they're when they're older. <laughs> Until then, Delphine can hold them. Yes. <laughs> she seemed a bit more comfortable about it. Sean says, glad to see that Delphine and Kasima were happy and settled once the danger was over. My fear was that the heightened circumstances were the only thing that kept them clinging to one another. And afterwards, they would realize that they were incompatible. I had that worry, too. Especially that once... Kasima's illness was cured, if that would be the thing that was the foundation of their relationship. And I guess they still have this whole inoculation thing that they're doing. But I, I think, especially since there was like a sexy smoochy scene uncoupled from a medical procedure, <laughs> I'm going to take that as a good sign for that. I mean, it was directly after one, so. <laughs> I know, but it wasn't with Kasima. It's progress, at least. <sighs> So did you guess that Rachel was going to be in the car waiting at the curb? 
eventually, yes. I think yeah. my brain cycled through a couple of people and then went, oh, wait, no, it's definitely Rachel. <laughs> I kept hoping it would be Tony, but... That was one of the people my brain cycled through before. It's like, no, it's going to be Rachel. Yeah. So what did you think of Rachel's final scene? So, uh, technically, there were two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked it. I always have sort of conflicting feelings when it comes to Rachel. <laughs> I, I think as we are supposed to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I'm okay with this, because we did see a lot of progress, a lot of development from Rachel this season, where she's, you know, a little less terrible, and a little more on the side of the other clones. So I'm okay with this sort of, I don't know how to phrase this. Well, she wasn't defeated or vanquished the way that Cody and John were. Right. But... She doesn't get a happy ending either. She points that out very clearly. You know, she has no friends. She can't use her own name. But she's alive. It's a little bit of a limbo of an ending, but I'm okay with it. She has done such terrible things on the show. Right. I think it would feel disingenuous if she was accepted into Clone Club and was forming sisterly bonds with the other leaders. I don't think that that would have felt like a realistic ending for her. But I do think in this last season, especially in the episode where she let Kira go and then when she helped Mrs. S take down Neolution, like she demonstrated that she wasn't as villainous, at least, as she was before. Right. I think exile is the word I'm looking for. There you go. She's basically in exile at the end of the season. And I feel like that's an appropriate ending. Because, yeah, she doesn't deserve the terrible stuff that happened to... Cody and John. Again, because of the redemption this season. Though I know there are probably people out there who disagree, who think that Rachel should be dead. But I agree with you. I, I don't think that death would have, at this point, would have been the best fate for her. Uh, Greg says, Rachel had the best arc this season, loved the Uber scene. That was what, probably one of my favorite lines, if not my favorite line of the episode. Because you have Felix, who's who's expecting this like sinister thing, like, oh, Rachel, she's rising in power again, and it's going to be this covert thing. And no, it's it's her Uber driver. Like, <laughs> it's kind of a nice reminder that this group of people they're still kind of transitioning away from this life where they had to be very sensitive and hyper aware of stuff. And no, this is just a really banal thing. It's an Uber driver. Yeah. Peg says, I was disappointed Rachel wasn't asked in, but I get it. Hmm. This ambiguous an ending for Rachel gives her a future. Because I liked that even though she said she didn't want to see another Lita again, she was interested in what was going on for them. Like she asked about Helena's babies. And I think I think that's an appropriate ending too, right? Because the, the episodes before this, we saw her making decisions to help them. It makes sense to me. I like the fact that she asked after them. And she helped them again, even though she was off wherever she is now. Felix was somehow able to get in touch with her, and she delivered them this information that they really needed. So I, I do think that Rachel has been redeemed to a certain extent. Right. So I'm I'm glad they didn't have to kill her. Yeah. After realizing to what extent she herself was being used. Yeah. I enjoyed that they included so many callbacks and little nods to fandom in this episode. Yeah, the the baby shower scene was great. 
but I think also, to some extent, contributed to my anxiety about whether or not that was all really happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh no, they're echoing the thing that was definitely not real. <laughs> yeah. But it feels like a nice way to show that things have changed, right? Because that was a, a terrible, an ultimately horrifying dream that Helena had while she was being held captive by the caster people. So the fact that now she's having a baby shower surrounded by people who who love her and want to be her family, that's such a, a much better situation. <laughs> and eating delicious jam burgers. I freaking loved the way that Gemma and Kira reacted to the jam burgers. <laughs> I actually think that might not be bad, a jam burger. Yeah, but you'll have to give it a try and let me know. Maybe I will. <laughs> Maybe it depends on the type of jam. Exactly. I feel like a, a hot pepper jelly might be pretty mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. on a hamburger. I have some if you want some. Let me know. <laughs> will do. So we had the baby shower callback. We had at the baby shower, Helena received a science monkey from Kasima as a gift. Adorable. And then I felt like, and, and I might be wrong, but I, I did feel like the the big family event at the baby shower, it kind of recalled for me the family dinner at the end of season three. Mm-hmm. And almost like this, see, there's even more people now in this community who care about everybody. And Colin got to be there. And Scott got to be there. And Art and his daughter were invited, which was nice. And um, wow, I just lost her name. Felix's sister. Adele. Adele, thank you. Yes, Adele was there. It seemed like Adele and Delphine might have been chatty and friendly, and that kind of made me happy. The idea that Delphine and Adele might be buddies. I kind of liked that idea. Well, I mean, they did go to Switzerland together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I liked that it seemed like they liked each other. And I don't know. Maybe they bond over alcohol to some extent. Delphine is French. <laughs> alcohol and being tall. <laughs> The two things they have in common. (laughs) You know. Accents. (laughs) I have one. I have one, too. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) And Adele was wearing a great hat. It's true. As was Kira. Kira had a good hat, too. Mm -hmm. I was trying to decide, is that... The same hat or just a hat reminiscent of the one that Mrs. S had in season three? I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. You know which hat I'm talking about, though, right? I do. When she went to Mexico? Yes. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look. It's been a minute since I've seen that hat. I did not have a chance to go look, but I will have to do it later. And then as regards to kind of callbacks to the the flashier scenes that they've done with the clones... I felt like even though it wasn't really a revisit, it was significant to me that the the sister circle, the backyard scene, it featured the same characters as the clone dance party did at the end of season two. But like you were saying, it's a it's a quiet scene. They're still because that one was like cathartic, right? We need some happiness after all of this terribleness. And while it, this one wasn't as frenetic, it still had that same sense of connection and unity to it because yeah that was more like expending energy in a joyous way right yeah and this was more we're tired because <laughs> we spent all this time doing all this stuff now we're gonna sit down and have have a common calm moment and reassure each other basically 
It's really nice. I like it. And this also felt like a follow-up on what Allison said back in episode eight. She has that comment to Cosima when they're on Skype together that, you know, it's like it's not right that Sarah's always taking on all this hard stuff. I think it was back in episode eight. So this scene, it kind of feels like a response to that where her sisters are able to take on some tough stuff for Sarah, be there for her to support her. Mm -hmm. I think it was episode nine, but yes. Yeah, you're right, because it was after Mrs. S died, so it was episode nine. And we mentioned them already in regards to callbacks, but we enjoy that Johnny has a job involving concrete flooring and that Helena made literal stick figure bubbles for her babies. (laughs) Which are both adorable and terrifying. Yes. It's very, like, Blair Witch Project. I know. (laughs) Hey, Chris and Stephanie. I wanted to give you some feedback on this last episode of Orphan Black. Uh, I've been a casual watcher over the years. I tended to binge watch it a lot. But this last episode, I didn't watch it for a few days. Uh, Fortunately, I didn't get any spoilers. But oh my gosh, what a last episode. So intense, so emotional. You know, I was just freaking out at the first half, thinking that how are they going to escape? So I admit, I was kind of happy that Dr. Cody and P.T. Westmoreland bit it. But... It just was so emotional when Helena was having the babies, and I've got Kleenexes here, there, everywhere, and I really liked how the story was intercut with Sarah's decision to have Kira and, you know, the birth of Kira uh, intercut with the birth of Helena's babies, and it was just beautifully done. And I loved how Graham and John were like, in an interview, they said, we're going to write Mrs. S back in because there's no way we can't. So I really love that it started with the flashbacks. And the last half of the episode, though, because the first half was so intense and it was all about the escape from Dyad, I almost thought when it cut to Helena and the babies living in the garage that I'm like, is this a dream? Did they get out? You know, it's kind of an abrupt cut for me. And I, I was like holding my breath, expecting Neolution to come back any time for the last half of the episode. So it was really a pleasant surprise for me to see that basically, uh, as Sarah said, freedom looks different to everybody and all the clones kind of figuring out and, you know, figuring out a way to express their freedom and to live their lives now that the threat is finally gone. And I really liked how Sarah was still struggling with how to be happy, how to try and be a mom. And, you know, she doesn't know what to do now that the fight's over. And that last scene with the Lita clones, the four of them in the backyard was so perfect. I was like, this is the way to end the series. And, you know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I was quite frankly surprised that everybody, you know, got a happy ending at the end of this very intense series. But um, I was really happy with it. You know, Kofiin got a happy ending. They got to go around and cure all the clones and... Felix and Sarah and Kira are going off to the beach, and, you know, we got one last striptease from Donnie, and it was just great. I really loved it. So, anyway, thanks, you guys. See you soon. Bye. Thank you for sending that in, Annie. Yes, thank you for sending that in. (laughs) I, too, appreciate we got one final striptease from Donnie that did feel like an appropriate ending for Allison and Donnie in particular. He's in his underwear. (laughs) Also a good callback. (laughs) Yes. Though there was no similarly Allison in her underwear, so it, it wasn't as intense as some of their their scenes were, but I liked it a lot. I liked her, what was she, she was saying something like, snap it, snap those fingers. <laughs> <laughs> she would say that. 
I was happy but a little surprised to see that it seemed like maybe, maybe they were just playing together, but maybe Charlotte lives with Art now? That kind of was what it seemed when they showed up. I mean, she was staying with him before, so right. I don't know. I mean, he'd mentioned that uh, Maya would be thrilled, and it seems like maybe that is what's happened. I kind of like that idea, though I also wondered if maybe she would end up with Sarah and Kira, but I suppose Kira's enough for Sarah to try to handle, so maybe it's it's best for Charlotte to be with a more experienced parent, a more settled parent at the moment, just while Sarah's getting settled herself. Yeah. I don't know. Not that I'm saying Charlotte will go back over to Sarah, but I did consider that as maybe a possibility. Right. Or if she'd end up with the Hendrixes, since, you know, they've got a pretty big house and very suburban and whatnot. And who who knows where Oscar is? <laughs> he is constantly um, at whatever sporting practice that Allison probably encouraged him to take up. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe Charlotte can have his room. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he's always in his room. There we go. He's just very moody and he doesn't like to come out for company. I mean, who knows how old he is at this point? <laughs> True, he could be 30. We don't know. <laughs> Not 30. Maybe 20. <laughs> there, were, there, were <laughs> there have been 17 winters during, during the series. Sean says, do you think it was weird for Maya to see so many Beths for all, or for the first time? Colin seemed pretty chill about seeing the clones. But Colin knew something was up already, because he's the one who was working at the morgue when... Beth was there, so. And then saw Sarah later, right? Yeah. And I get the impression that, because there was a time lap, a time jump between midway in the episode, so it's not necessarily that this is the first time Maya has seen other Beths. And I would imagine at this point, especially with Charlotte living with them, that Art would have tried to explain some way. Right. She may not know clones, but may just sort of know that there's a lot of people who look like Beth in the world. But still, in, in terms of whatever the first time she saw the others, whatever that was, I mean, maybe? Because it did seem like she was fairly close to Beth, so yeah, I do think that would be odd, right? To know somebody True. as an only child and then meet a bunch of other women who looked just like her later. That's a good point. While I was pleased that they did mention Tony, at least in this episode, I'm super bummed that they didn't manage to find a way to get him into the show before it ended. I know. It, it feels like a little bit intended to appease the audience. <laughs> hmm. Right? I mean, I, I know I've seen a lot of people really wanting them to bring Tony back. And perhaps some people not wanting them to bring Tony back. I don't know. But it is more of a nod, an acknowledgement, I guess, than anything. And I'm okay with it. I also would have rather they actually brought him back, but right, it is what it is. It's, it's certainly better than nothing. And I do, I don't know entirely what went into their decision. It could just have been storytelling reasons. They couldn't find a way to really work him back into the narrative. I don't know. It could have been other reasons, uh, but I'm glad at least we had a little bit of a follow-up on him, and we, we know he's at least been treated, so yay. I think they had Crystal up on that board, too, right? 
Yes, they mention having gotten Crystal and Tony and then a few other clones we hadn't met before. Right. I do feel like this sort of acknowledgement without actually bringing him back kind of fits in narratively. Like, you know, basically they're doing this so they can all move on with their lives, right? Without this right. this issue hanging over their heads. So, Right. Because that was the whole reason they sent Tony away is so that he didn't have to get involved the way that they were. And right. Crystal kept inserting herself, even though they were trying to keep her out of it, too. So she got to be a little more involved. But Tony was able to live his life in a way that the clones in Clone Ronto had to be more involved in what was going on. Right. So again, like, narratively, I, I accept it. Okay. <laughs> oh, but I was super glad to see Colin at the, at the baby shower. And they still seemed to be together, though there were no smoochies. They they still seemed pretty coupley. And yay, I'm happy for Felix to have a seemingly nice boyfriend at the end of the series. Mm-hmm. I keep telling you, Colin, you need to be less perceptive. <laughs> it was, was kind of cute. It was. They, they are cute together. Lisa emailed and said, Happy how it all wrapped up, but still and now has a, a bulleted list of questions. Where is Cal? Where is the money MK took from Ferdinand? How is Sarah ever really going to hold a real job? Seven million would certainly help. Why did I assume Helena's babies would be girls? Did we know they'd be boys? They're fraternal, right? Are the clones out? Wouldn't they become tabloid oddities like Kimmy Schmidt? What does that mean for the unaware clones? Is Delphine treating them on the down low? Did the South American woman at the end know what she was getting? Will any of them? Are there still bodies in Allison's garage? Did she say Donnie was a cements floor salesman? Where is Crystal? Even if not part of Clone Club, she surely would be proud of Neolution being brought down. So do we want to take these questions one by one, Chris? Some of them we've already kind of touched upon. But I think this is a good question, and I feel like was the a big question mark for me was... Where is Cal? Because with Sarah trying to set up a more stable home for Kira, it seems odd to me that he wasn't even mentioned in this episode. I mean, a little bit. This is my dad's first question, I think, when the episode ended. Well, we know how he feels about Cal. (laughs) It's true. Sarah might have to fight my dad over Cal. I don't know. (laughs) But the thing is, and this is going to sound terrible, but please accept it the way I intend it. Uh, I don't care. (laughs) Now, I like Cal. Don't get me wrong. I have no issues with Cal. But in terms of the narrative of the show, it isn't terribly important to me that they tell us exactly where Cal is or what he's up to. Would I have complained about it if they had? Absolutely not. I mean, it's not that I don't want to know. It's just not priority for me. And I agree. I think in terms of where they wanted to end the show, especially with Sarah's storyline, it doesn't really matter where Cal is. However, it does feel like a bit of a unusual omission on the show's part, that there's been really no mention of him at all since they had to leave Iceland at the beginning of season the four. very beginning of season four, yeah. Yeah, because it was kind of, we need to leave, I'll get word to your dad. And I believe that's the last time we heard about Cal. It's true. So I, I feel like I would have at least appreciated a mention of him, not that he needed to show up. Right. 
because who cares? It doesn't matter. Well, not who cares, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Again, like in in terms of the narrative of the show is what I'm yeah. is what I'm arguing here. Right. I agree. Because I guess in in my mind it's kind of like well, the show is over and they didn't tell us, which means it gets to be whatever you want it to be until they tell us otherwise. So it's not we we know he's out there somewhere cuz if he wasn't, they would have told us. <laughs> so it can be what you want until told otherwise. And in that same vein, Greg tweeted us to say, I heard an idea on Reddit that I liked, which was Cal was waiting for Sarah, Kira, and Felix at the beach. Aw, I'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Peg says, and Jesse, the truck driver, how great that they don't need these men. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's actually kind of nice that for these two female characters at the end of the series and Rachel too their fates weren't about okay what about what's the state of their romantic relationships it doesn't matter like it was nice that Cosima and Delphine were on good footing but that's been her storyline the entire series it was nice that Allison and Donnie were on good footing but I liked that when it came to especially Sarah her romantic status was completely unimportant to wrapping up her character arc right because that's never been what her story is about and it most tied to the story when it was about her past as a con woman. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the story. It's not about whether or not she's going to end up with this guy. I like the guy. Don't get me wrong. But it's, oh, I like it's, not, it's not about that. And yeah. uh, my dad also very concerned about where Jesse was. But again, like, I don't know that it matters that much. I do feel the same about Jesse, though. Like, I would have appreciated maybe a mention of him at some point in the past season or so, but it wasn't important that that be tied up for me, mm -hmm. because that's not what Helena's storyline has been about. Right. When my dad was like, where's Cal? I'm like, he's over on Game of Thrones. <laughs> he's busy. <laughs> Andreas says, true, but not needing doesn't have to equal not wanting or not loving. Sure. Yes. That is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not exactly what we're saying, but it is what we mean, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't have minded a mention of Cal, or even if Cal came back, but at the same time, it's okay. It's right. okay. Because again, the story's not about the romance. The story is about family, their newfound sisters and the accompanying family from that. And then in regards to Lisa's question about Sarah being able to hold a real job. I think this is a good question. I think we can assume that she might have been able to go back and take the GED so she at least has that to help get her a job. But I think that that is a, going to be a struggle for Sarah, right? The same as motherhood, this idea of having a typical kind of nine to five type of profession is probably going to take some getting used to for her. But that's even assuming that that's what she's going to do. Maybe I know. She'll probably she's not. Maybe she'll find something more suited to her skill set. I wonder if she could be a private investigator. She would be so good at that. I feel like she would be. Because they kind of have to be able to con people in a way sometimes, depending on what they're doing. There's a lot of private investigation now that really has to do with like internet searches and stuff. They have access to databases that they pay for and they do a lot of internet searching. Mm -hmm. But she'd be great in the field. Right. <laughs> I feel like she could get sufficient coaching on internet search stuff, right? She yeah. knows people. Maybe maybe she and Hellwizard will team up. <laughs> I wonder if art could like be a reference for her. 
then maybe she could become an investigator for an insurance company or something like that. Greg says, what about being Art's partner again on the force? She has the experience. (laughs) And then Greg says, or would that be too weird for the other cops? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> It'll be like every every TV show now where she's not a cop, but she teams up with a cop <laughs> mm. through some sort of special circumstance. Maybe maybe she'll pull a castle and become a writer so she can team up with art. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is me making a joke at Castle's expense. Sorry, Castle. Peg says Sarah would be great in sales and distribution. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sean says, maybe Sarah could work at Rabbit Hole. She could be surly and confused by everything, and I would so shop there. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag kidding, but maybe. (laughs) So Lisa also asked about Helena's babies being girls. I I think a lot of people made that assumption. And then, but then she asked they're fraternal, right? Do we know that? I don't know that we know that. Mm, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't recall that part. I don't think we were told they were fraternal. I was assuming they were identical, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Just because, and maybe she just meant the concept of twins, but Helena does say, you know, oh, like me and my sister, when she finds out she's having twins. Did they establish what Henrik did? Do we know? Mm, no. I believe it's not unlike unusual for them to put more than one fertilized right. egg in whatever they inject. So it's not impossible that they're fraternal. But I don't think that we ever got a clear picture of what exactly he did. I liked this question of Lisa's a lot. I hadn't really thought about this before. Are the clones, quote unquote, out? Wouldn't they become tabloid oddities like Kimmy Schmidt? What does that mean for the unaware clones? I don't think they are, though. Not not at any big scale, anyway. It feels like they managed to take down Neolution without revealing the clones' identities or their appearance. I mean, there was so much other shady stuff they were doing. I don't think it was necessary. So it's possible that they revealed the evidence of clone experiments, which is illegal in a lot of countries, but they did manage to protect the clones' identities, maybe? Well, I mean, there's all the stuff going on at Brightborn, too. Again, like, there's just so much other stuff that they could have exposed that would have not involved them. And yeah, even if it did involve it, it did involve the reveal of the knowledge of clone experiments. I don't know that it necessarily means that it would have exposed them as being the clones. Because I think we definitely get the sense that the woman that they inoculate at the end of the episode was unaware that she was a clone and Delphine was not going to tell her. Right. And I mean, Cosima was specifically avoiding her seeing her. Right. So certainly... Not everybody is aware, but at the same time, it could have been a type of news story that was more heavily covered in a certain area of the world. So it's possible just in Colombia, maybe it wasn't, and that's why she didn't know. But I I don't get the sense that suddenly all the clones who weren't aware are, are aware that they are now. Right. And then this question about Delphine treating the clones on the download, did did they know what they were getting? That's a good question. And maybe raises some ethical questions yeah around what delphine and Cassima are doing despite being well-intentioned how much are they able to tell the clones that they are inoculating what they're doing i mean it could be that they tell them that it's an inoculation for a disease that i don't know they 
found out that they were susceptible to. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there could be an explanation that is true without revealing the greater context of why it's true. Yeah. Like, they could say your blood work tested positive for this disease. We have an inoculation against it. You're not showing symptoms yet or what have you. And we have mm-hmm. an inoculation that will prevent you from from succumbing to it. Mm-hmm. But then they just don't say, it's because you're a clone, you know? <laughs> or maybe if they encounter somebody who rejects – I don't even know why I'm, why I'm pitching a storyline, but I am. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe somebody is suspicious of this explanation, like, I haven't had any blood work recently. How would you know? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe they'd reveal to that person or, you know – I don't know. And it's possible even with their names, they won't be able to be 100% successful. But mm-hmm. they're, they're trying their best. In the grand tradition of uh, everybody making their own decisions. Yes. Brought it back around. <laughs> so what about the bodies in Allison's garage? Those we know about. Because we saw Anger unearth them. And it certainly seems like they removed them, right? I believe Rachel does tell her to remove the bodies. So there you go. And yeah. then they probably uh, report the cement floor. And then Donnie's like, hey, <laughs> I, could, I could turn this into a career. I am kind of interested to to know what Crystal's reaction was to when she saw the illusion come down. That would have been that would have been something to see. Somebody write that fanfic, right? Yes, please do. Because <laughs> while they did, we did get at least to follow up that she'd been inoculated, we we did not get to see how she reacted to the big news about Neolution's downfall. That could have been worth a worth a little scene if they had managed to be able to fit her in. Peg also says, surprise for Helena to have boys that have that magic healing gene science question mark. Is the twenty eight A limited to women? I don't think so, Shouldn't no. Shouldn't be. No. Because I mean, um John wanted it, so mm-hmm. Oh, no, and they got it from, um... Oh, that's right. It begins with a Y. Giannis? Yes, they got it from him, who was in in the basement and then escaped, and he was male. So, no, it is not limited to just female people. Okay, shall we talk about future plans for the podcast? Yes, let's talk about what our plans are. So what are our plans, Chris? You tell me. (laughs) Okay, so we are planning on doing at least one post-series episode to discuss the the overarching themes of the five seasons, which is not a small feat, and I think we're maybe a little ridiculous for doing this, but but we're going to try. And it's possible we might end up breaking that apart differently, like instead of trying to tackle the series as a whole in an episode, we might just... We might do it differently by topics. I don't know, but I don't want to create more work for us than we can possibly do. So. <laughs> I know. It's it's one of those things where it's a thing we want to talk about. We have yet to decide how to talk about it. We might end up doing sort of like we did when we did our first group of episodes where we break it up by character story arcs or something. Yeah. I feel like that's maybe manageable. Yeah. <laughs> Again, way more work than one episode, but also not as overwhelming as one probably also two or three hour episode. So a 12 hour episode. <laughs> or that or that. So the answer is there will be post series as a whole episodes, probably a mini series of them. Also, what we're going to do with the podcast kind of depends on what kind of content we get after this regarding Orphan Black. The 
Orphan Black Deviations comic book series is still going on right now. We are going to cover that at some point, I imagine. As as somebody mentioned earlier, I think it was John, there are the books now that are sort of like relating to the series. There's there's one that's like the I think it's like the Journal of Delphine Cormier, hmm. which I assume Stephanie will be interested in. Hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. I think there's a Science of Orphan Black book out now too. We don't know what other kind of comic books they might come out with. So yeah, it depends on how much more content there's going to be. I know somebody has mentioned possibly doing like a follow-up movie or something. Somebody was asking, I forget if it was John or Graham, about the fact that there's still storyline available with Delphine and Cosima's story mm-hmm. with them traveling. And so, I don't know. It just, it, Depends on what kind of new content we get, whether or not, and how frequently this podcast will update post-series. Yes. And also will depend on life situations and stuff like that. So I don't know at this point we can commit to a regular schedule, but we we do have stuff that we still want to cover. And and even post-series stuff, there were things that we had wanted to cover between seasons four and five, but our lives got busy and we just weren't able to do it. Some of that stuff is still relevant and I want to go back and talk about it. So I definitely have a small list of topics that I want to cover about the series. There's still stuff that we want to talk about. We just don't know exactly how much. Right. As always, things are dependent on any number of, of variable factors. Yeah. Since this is a hobby for us, it's not, not something we, we do for a job. It just all is dependent on other stuff in our lives. Mm-hmm. I hope that's a sufficient answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if you are having realizations about stuff from the series that you think, aha, this is interesting. You can go ahead and still send that to us, and we will likely incorporate it into some future episodes if we, when we are trying to discuss the series as a whole. So we still would love to hear your thoughts about the series finale, as well as any other thoughts you've had about the season or the series as a whole. You can send us that feedback in a variety of ways. You can send us an email or voice message to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. Uh, you can send a voice message by recording it on your smartphone and emailing to us, or you can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. We are also on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. Tatiana is Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. You can find our other podcasts about Killjoys, and we've got one, an, an old one on Bomb Girls, which is a good show that you should watch. <laughs> We've also got a multi-fandom podcast. You should check out all of those over at AskGenreTV.com. And in this episode, all of our listener feedback was played by Tatiana Mazzani. Thanks for listening.